guys. Welcome back, Preview Alliance. This is Sarah. And Whitney. So we're going to do another toolbox because us moms, we need tools in our toolbox. Lord, yes. And All the duct tape I need. Give us, give us glue. Give us scissors. Give us Everything. live. Now give us our mental toolbox. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to tell on myself and say, okay. I use this tool from Whitney Yay. because I texted her and told her... <laughs> I cannot do Carline with baby James screaming. Yeah, it, it's overwhelming. Like, I literally was physically sweating. He was mm -hmm. screaming. Yep. I'm like, I'm sure people next to us is hearing my child think, like, he's being murdered. He's not. He's just strapped in a car seat. Yeah. And he's mad waiting for his big brother. Yeah. So, can you share what you told me to do? Sure. So, whenever you're kind of in that sensory overload, as moms, most of our sensory overload comes from visual and auditory input. Yeah. Because we're, con I mean, from the minute we get up, we're always seeing things. We're always hearing things. So when you're at a place where you're just kind of at your wit's end and you need to ground yourself a little bit, instead of using the grounding thoughts that we've talked about, right? I want you to do a tactile grounding. So what that means is I want you to touch something, taste something, smell something. So, like Sarah's example, she was in the car, you know, there's not a whole lot you can I do. Felt, I felt like a trapped animal there for a second. Yeah. So, let's just be real. There's probably not a ton of food in your car where you can do a taste tactile grounding thing. Touch, well, you're already used to touching the steering wheel. Like, none of those are sensations that can kind of get you out of that moment. But, thanks COVID for this, you probably have some sanitizer in your car. Yeah. More often than not, you have sanitizer in your car, maybe some lotion in your car, something like that, I would want you to open that up and just breathe it in. And that's what I did. And I know it sounds, you're like, okay, no, it works. It does. It works. it distracts your brain. Your brain focuses on that scent. And so in that moment, you're like, okay, I know baby James is screaming in the back seat, but he's fine. Yeah. He's in his car seat. He's perfectly fine. I need to do this to regulate myself so I don't lose it. So I don't meet they're crazy if you're crazy. That's what I say all the time. Yep. I'm trying not to be crazy with you. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you, if you're, again, stuck in the car like Sarah was, see if there's something in there that you can smell. Some sanitizer, lotion, anything like that is a really good option. And now I pack, like, the Juicy Fruit gum. Yes. Because I'm like, okay, what else do I need? Absolutely. So pack so now that you know about this yes. and maybe there is those stressful situations yep have you a little something have some gum in there some mints if you have a favorite sour candy sour candy is great for grounding because it does have that flavor that we're not used to eating regularly so yeah. think of like a lemon head or a warhead sour skittles things like that you want to have that on hand and you just want to put it in your mouth and you really just want to focus on what does this taste like? And it works. I was like, it does. okay, I'm just going to text Whitney every time I have these little mini breakdowns and we're just going to have all these tools, Uh huh. which and I then, do anyway. So there you go. <laughs> That's what we do. And then as far as a tactile one, as far as feeling things, I've talked about this before where you go outside barefoot for a little bit and you just kind of pay attention to how the blades of grass feel on the bottom of your feet. Yeah. Or you kind of pay attention to how does the sun feel on your face? Yeah. Love that. Okay. Next one. How can we help some moms with some, I call it bed dread. So what's bed dread? It's, you guys know this. I even felt this in the third trimester when you're like, I'm going to go to bed, but I'm not going to be able to sleep. Yeah. And then when you have the baby, the first few months, 
you're like, how many times are they going to wake up? Exactly. Anxiety about it. Bed dread. So what yeah. is something they can do? So part of it is try to have a nighttime routine if you can. It doesn't have to be perfect, but something that you can predict. Okay. Because part of the nighttime dread is it is unpredictable. Yeah. Because we don't know how often our child is going to get up. Mm-mm. They could miraculously sleep through the night or they could get up just like my child did last night. For whatever reason, she woke up at 11 o'clock screaming, didn't go back to sleep till 1.30. Ooh. Pretty sure we're in the night terror stage. So yeah. That's super fun. Yeah. Super fun. Zero out of 10 stars don't recommend. Uh-huh. But here we are. We're in it and all we can do is go through it. Yeah. So part of what helps with a bedtime routine is that predictability. And it gives you control over something. Yeah. I love that. And I found, too, I would, like, maybe text somebody if I knew they are up to feeding. Like, if you have a mom, just to know you weren't alone. Absolutely. Or I've heard people like to turn on their favorite little show. Uh Or to, like, if you want to, like, put your phone on the low setting and read a little book while you feed. Mm -hmm. Make a little something for you in that moment. Absolutely. To kind of help. Absolutely, yeah. I remember bed dread really bad. I was just like, I don't even want it to be night. Yeah. You start to dread Because then you feel like you're the only person up, and that feels isolating. It's very lonely. Yeah. But it's funny you mentioned texting someone that you knew would be up. Me and my friend Hannah, we had our babies just a few weeks apart. And I would always send it to her on Facebook Messenger because I didn't want to, like, wake her up if she wasn't up. Yeah. But, I mean, we have so many conversations at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning of, are you up? I'm up. Yeah. This is what we're doing. We're hanging out. Yeah. You know, we're feeding all the things. And so it was nice to know, okay. I'm not completely alone in this. It just felt, it helped validate that it's a hard, like we say, yes. it's a phase, it's a season, it's not for mm-hmm. life. But Absolutely. try some of those things and you're not alone with that. No. We feel it too. We still feel it some days when you know your kid's on a no sleep stretch. Yeah, it's super fun. It's hard. It is hard. Okay, well, this is a different one too. Okay. Your kid going to a new chapter, how can you embrace this transition? So this one kind of hits close to home for me because my oldest just started kindergarten a couple of weeks ago. And my kids have always been daycare kids mm-hmm. ever since they were 12 weeks old because that's all the maternity leave that yeah. I had. So it was one of those I didn't expect kindergarten to be as difficult yeah. for me as it was because I'm like, well, she's been going to daycare. She's been going to pre-K. But this time, like, she's going to a whole new building, which is much bigger yeah. Now we have, you know, these expectations from the school of you got to monitor her grades and school is so different than when I was in school. Yeah. There are so many apps and there's so many different ways no. that you have to check yes. like your, you know, lunchroom balance. And this is how we check our attendance and our grades and, you know, how you communicate with the teachers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're getting ready for these adjustments, realize you're not going to have everything done on the first day of school. Yeah. And you're not expected to. Yeah. It's a process. appropriate. Yeah. So for you as a mama, especially if it's first day of daycare, pre-K, Mother's Day out, kindergarten, if it's any of those, I really want to encourage you to take the day off work if you can. Yeah. And do something for you. Do something for you, but also just know it's okay if you're emotional. I cried at Will's pre-K. Yeah. Meet the teacher. Yeah. And the first day. He, like, I had to walk out. I was like that person yeah mm-hmm. that's okay though but that i but now i'm doing better yeah but like you yeah. said i can't like i can't suffocate that in no so do things that honestly ease your heart a mm-hmm. little bit so 
you know, everybody does all those like first day of school, last day of school chalkboards. I did that with my daughter, took her picture. She got a cute little balloon that said Sydney's first day of kindergarten. So things that I can put in her baby book. Like a little keepsake of this chapter. A little chapter. keepsake, you know, and I wrote her a letter. Oh, I love the letter. And so like she's got this little journal of all these letters I've written to her since she was born. So whenever she's old enough for it and responsible enough to have it, it's going to be hers. I love that. And so she's going to have that I do one for my younger child as well. And so it's something that is therapeutic for us, helps our mama hearts because it is difficult, but it's also something for them because they're like, oh, mom really did do a lot for me. Like it gives them a whole new perspective. And I I read this thing once that they created like email accounts for their kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you send them emails at different stages. So for our moms who like, like, I don't want to write, I just want to email, I want to voice text this into them. Absolutely. That's something that... We all have these transitions, reaching out to moms in the same stage or veteran moms Mm -hmm. who can kind of give you guidance and embracing this as a chapter you're growing with your babies. Absolutely. I love how you said that, growing with them. Mm -hmm. Because we're not the same mom that they were when they were born when they go to kindergarten. No, no. We've evolved. Very much so. Hopefully for the better. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) And our last thing for toolbox is, I think this, we're going to start trying to do this more terms. That bring up something that maybe be with motherhood, relationships, therapy, that just to kind of give you guys another awareness and education. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about enmeshment. This is super fun. What is this? What is this, Whitney? Okay. So I think a lot of people are very familiar or more familiar with codependency. Yeah. Or someone having codependency traits. So think of enmeshment like codependency on steroids. Okay. So we're talking a severe codependency. Um, So oftentimes you see this between a parent and a child relationship. More often it's going to be of opposite genders. So you think of like a daughter and a dad or a mom and a son. I think I hear mom and son a lot. I do tend to hear that one more frequently. And so this is one of those you have an adult parent and an adult child. Okay. So we're not talking about your three-year-old needing you to help them in the bathroom. Okay. Like, we're, we're talking about, we're talking. like, we're we're adults, we're like, older. We're talking about not age-appropriate behaviors. Okay. Again, your three-year-old probably does need your help in the bathroom still yeah. at that age. Yeah. Okay? Like, my five-year-old, does she still need me to help her open snacks? Yeah. Yes. That is age appropriate so we're not talking about your 60 or 70 year old parent mm-hmm. and, and your, your 30, 30 40s child and and again let me put this out there we can go to our parents for advice yeah absolutely because they have lived life they may have experiences where they can help us out especially if you're talking about something like you're thinking of buying a car or a house and you want their feedback because well what about this what about that Again, that's very normal. That's very appropriate. What is not appropriate is when that adult child prioritizes their relationship with that parent over their current family. It's like spouse, partner, Uh child. Yes. Now, what's if it's the opposite? What's if the parent is so dependent on their adult child? So that is where you see them not really respecting the role of their child's spouse. Okay. They kind of feel like they still have that role, like 
they kind of still want to be that same parent that they've been while their child was under their roof. Okay. So we're talking about they really do not understand boundaries. They feel the need to voice their opinion on everything, regardless of if you asked for it or not. And probably multiple phone calls a day or texts a day. Absolutely. Um, sometimes they can have a complete disregard for your boundaries when it comes to raising your kid. Mm. I've got a client now. They um, have a child who is special medical needs, and they've been told by their medical care team, you need to do X, Y, and Z. This will help, blah, blah, blah. Okay, like that seems pretty straightforward. Of Okay, we've been told this by the medical experts that yeah. are our support team. So the client has tried to address this with her in-laws, and they'll kind of give her the, oh, yeah, sure, we'll do that, whatever. But then, you know, if they're watching the baby, and let's just say she goes in grocery shops, whatever. She leaves the house, mm -hmm. has baby with them, whatever, comes back home, and they're absolutely not abiding by the rules oh. at all. And her spouse will not address it with their parents. It's because they just bow down or just kind of just yes. used to it and it's or like they're so worried about losing that relationship that they won't stand up they for their do own family unit at all okay correct yeah. so that when i say prioritizing that relationship i mean like they truly don't feel like they can even put down a boundary of hey you know remember our care team has said to do blah 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 for little billy over here mm -hmm. and you know just having that reminder of hey we really need to be doing these things Okay, if you approach it like that, that's not a very harsh boundary. I've seen, too, in other circumstances where, say it's a divorce mm -hmm. and the parents. Yeah. And then that child becomes a pseudo-spouse emotional yeah. support. Mm -hmm. And so then it's that weird, like, parent and child that the emotional needs yes. of a partner or spouse is Agreed. placed on a child to mm -hmm. fulfill even a grown child. Yeah, which is very inappropriate because our children, you as an adult child listening to this, should never be held responsible or have that responsibility placed on you to be the emotional regulator for your parents. Now, that being said, like when my grandmother died several years ago, did I hug my dad to comfort him in his grief? Yeah. But your day-to-day -day is not to bring this person no. joy or make them happy. Exactly. That's not my job. Or fill their, like, love cup, right? Exactly. So here's the thing. There is a difference between being there, supporting, grieving with, providing comfort in times of need versus you come to me daily. Multiple times a day. Multiple times a day saying, well, I need this reassurance from you. You need I'm to make me feel better. Yes, I'm seeking validation from a child, from my child. That's not appropriate. So what do we do if this is happening to us or our spouse? That is a very good question, and this can get sticky. Yeah, because um, I think I've seen where often mm -hmm. children really make this stand out because you could maybe navigate this before kids. You know, it's not yes, fun, right? And yes. you're just like, but once you have that third person in this equation, these babies that need your spouse, need your partner, Yep, they're really torn. Oh, for sure. And then you're seeing it even more. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at your 
spouse or partner and you're going, this is not okay. Exactly. So, I mean, what? So would, how do I do this? How would anybody do this? It's really hard because, I don't want to say oftentimes, but frequently you do see that in when you see that enmeshment, more often than not, that parent has narcissistic tendencies. And that's not to say that they are a diagnosable narcissistic personality disorder, but there are narcissistic tendencies. So they do not like to have boundaries placed on them. Mm. So you're going to have that bucking of the boundary. And they're not going to like it. You're going to pitch a fit, probably make it worse. Agreed. And so with that being said, like, you know, going back to my client where they had a child that had, you know, medical needs, there's a care team. That's when you go back and say, here is what the medical care team has suggested for our child. We need you to follow these rules. If you can't, then we can't let you care for our child without us here. And what's if it's like, you know, what's if your spouse is the one enmeshed mm-hmm. with their parent? How do you, as the partners, that, encourage them to recognize it and change so it? With that, because codependency is a more frequently used word and it's not as likely to get as harsh of a reaction. I would approach them and say, hey, I've kind of noticed that whenever your mom or dad are struggling with something, that they always come to you instead of the other parent, that person's spouse. I'm a little worried that there's some codependency going on. Mm -hmm. And so you can say that to them. They're probably still not going to love it. Just Mm -mm. keeping it real. That's never a fun conversation. Because it's all they kind of know, too. It is. And it's been beat in their head almost. Yeah. So it's. You're kind of breaking some cycles here. Generational cycles. Here we go again. Yes. And so you want to start out by saying, hey, I've kind of noticed X, Y, and Z. I feel like your mom, your dad, whomever is kind of having some codependency behaviors with you. What are some, can we talk about some ways that we can address that? So don't even put the whole responsibility on them to fix it. But say, can we work together to figure out ways to address that? Because I just don't feel like that's a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this is an unhealthy attribute of the relationship. And then sticking to boundaries. And it's yes. so ultimately, you know, would it be, I don't know if that person would respect a boundary set by a spouse or a partner. Mm-hmm. It would probably need to be a joint thing. And, Agreed. And mm-hmm. say, you can, we're not, you, it's not okay to call me. Yeah. A hundred times a day or text yeah, me a hundred no. times a day. Um, I'm not going to respond. Yeah. If this, or or even when it comes to children, yes. right? This is, we're not going to allow you to watch them if you do yeah. not respect this. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But, but I, it's not something I feel like people, you're going to know about a situation. You've seen it. Yeah. This is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to generations never address things. Oh, agreed. So now we're recognizing it. And then again, children make it. Can I just say us millennials and Gen X, Gen Z, like we're all having to really put in some work to break these cycles. it's not fun. This work is hard. But again, there's power to naming things. Yes. Identifying it. And again, have a united front with your significant other. You're not accusing them of doing something Mm -mm. horrible. And like you said, Sarah, it's kind of been their norm. Yeah. For all for their whole life, mm-hmm. and so it is going to be hard for them to kind of break that and to branch out of that. And then to see when kids come in, then maybe they'll look inside and say, "You know, I really don't want my child to experience." Like we talked about our yeah. inner child before. 
I don't want them to feel like I have to be a certain way to make mom happy or dad happy. Agreed. I don't want to feel like I always have to be available for them to make them feel X or to have them unload on me. And that leads into people-pleasing tendencies, which is a huge trait of someone who struggles with codependency. Yeah. And here's here's a little light bulb moment for y'all over here. You can have a codependency relationship with someone that's not even a person. Oh. You can have it with your workplace. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I did not realize this until we were having our staff meeting a few days ago, and I mentioned it to my husband. He's like, oh, yeah, totally saw that coming. I was had a codependent relationship with the hospital that I used to work for mm-hmm. because I was very much like, well, I need to do this and this and this. They really expect so much out of me. I'm a hard worker. I've got this great work ethic, blah, 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 blah. Well, little did I know that that was codependency. Yeah. Yeah. And boom, light bulb went off when we were in staff meeting the other day. And I was like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. I was codependent on that. Yeah. And it comes from people-pleasing tendencies. And so if you know someone that's a people-pleaser, chances are there's some codependency traits in there somewhere. Yeah. So, as it's always. crazy. We're doing the work. We are. We're here to support you moms. It's hard. But. We're with you, and we'll always bring you some tools out to your toolbox. That's right. All right. Till next time. All right. Bye, guys. Maternal mental health is as important as physical health. The Preview Alliance podcast was created for and by moms dealing with postpartum depression and all its variables, like anxiety, anger, and even apathy. Hosted by CEO, founder, Sarah Parkhurst, and licensed clinical social worker, Whitney Gay, each episode focuses on specific issues relevant to pregnancy and postpartum. Join us and hear how other moms have overcome mental health challenges, as well as access tips and suggestions on dealing with your own challenges as moms. You can also browse our podcast library and listen to previous episodes at any time. Please know you're not alone on this journey. We're here to help.